welcome to Hope City Church for this fourth week of our series, final week of our series, Mountains Move. And this has been a series about faith, about faith. It's a series designed to, to grow your faith and inspire you to dream bigger, work harder, and pray longer. Could you say that phrase with me? Say this together. Dream bigger, dream bigger. Work, harder, work harder, pray longer. Daniel Burnham, the architect of the World's Fair in 1893, is famously quoted by saying, make no little plans. Make no little plans. They have no magic to stir men's blood. I love that. I love that. And this series has been based around uh, a passage of scripture in Zechariah chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It says, it's not by force nor by strength, the older Translations of the Bible that my dad and granddad used says it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Nothing, not even a mighty mountain, will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. And that's been our prayer, our, our, our heart's desire, our hope is that mountains in our life that we're facing, giants, obstacles, mountains, would become a level field, a level plain before him. But it's not going to be by might, and it's not going to be by power, but it's going to be by the miraculous Spirit of God, the miraculous Spirit of God. And so last week, Pastor John and I talked about praying, specifically about praying for mountains to move in our lives and we encouraged you to pray about mountains moving in your life because God told us to. That Jesus specifically in Matthew 17 told us to pray for mountains to move. Which, by the way, if I could just stop for a second. Didn't Pastor Don just do incredible last week? It's so good. So, so good. And, uh, man, just love what God's doing in his life and the gifts he's developing uh, in his life. And so uh, that was great last week. And so this week, today, to wrap up this series, I want to talk again about faith, but specifically, I want to talk about the topic of focused faith. Focused faith. Everybody say focused faith. Focused faith. When I asked my oldest daughter, Sadie, I actually did it again this morning just to double check, and when I asked her this question, she's like, Dad, are you going to preach about me today? That's what she said to me. She's learning. But when I asked my oldest daughter, Sadie, what she wants to be when she grows up, she has a lot of different answers. Her most popular answer, I've told you before, is in charge. She just wants to be in charge. Uh, that's, her, that's her ultimate goal. Uh, she's a lot like her mother in that way, I guess. I'm not exactly sure. Anybody who knows us knows it's the opposite. But, um, but she also has some career choices lined up. Some days when you ask Sadie, Sadie, what do you want to be when you grow up? She says a librarian. She says, Dad, I want to be a librarian. I love to read. I love books. I love schools. I would like to, to be a librarian. I think that's great. But some days when you ask her, she says she wants to be a children's pastor. She wants to be Pastor Kim. That's what she wants to be in life. And that's pretty cool too. Other days when you ask her what she wants to be, she wants to be a soccer player for either the University of Louisville or the University of Kentucky. Now, her heart really wants to play for the University of Kentucky, but she'll say to me often, she'll say, Dad, um, I have a question for you. Um, if I played soccer for the University of Kentucky, would you come to my game anyway? <laughs> of course I would. Of course I would, Ben. 
Listen, at the age of eight, no one in the room would expect Sadie to know exactly what she wants to do with her life. No one would expect an eight-year-old to, to have her dreams decided or her plans, you know, put together. But it's not just an eight-year-old problem, is it? It's definitely not an eight-year-old problem. At about 80% of college students change their major at least once while they're in college. But on average, a college student changes their major three times before they either drop out or, or finish college. Maybe you've seen the most recent Taco Bell commercial, uh, commercial about order envy. I don't know if you've seen this, but, but Taco Bell just made up a phrase, order envy. Order envy is when you like what you order, but then when you see what somebody else ordered, you want what they have more than you want what you have. Does anybody in the room struggle with order envy? Let me see your hand. Oh, yeah, yeah. Joey doesn't share food right here. I don't know if you've seen Friends, but we've got to order separate fries for our table. So whether it's what you order off a menu or what to study in college or what you want to be when you grow up, sometimes, sometimes it's really hard to, to make a decision. But life is made up of decisions. Every day in your life, you're making hundreds of decisions, and a lot of them are on autopilot, so you don't even think about it, but everything that you do during your day is a decision, and so life and really success is made up of making, uh, by making correct and, and solid daily decisions, hundreds of them, but life is not just about making daily decisions. Life is also about making defining decisions. And, and while you make hundreds of daily decisions, you will probably only make five or six defining decisions in your life, but they are huge. I mean, they're exactly what they say they are. They are life-defining decisions, those decisions that when you look back, they are those forks in the road, those, those times when uh, a decision took you left or right, and you are where you are because of the, the, the interest, the, the, the add-up of those, of those decisions. And I think that faith is a lot the same way, that there is a, there's a daily faith that we all have. And I don't mean to minimize daily faith, but daily faith are, are so many times, it's kind of on autopilot. We do have faith. We do believe that God is real. We do believe that God is with us. And, and those things are not small in any way, but because we have that kind of faith every day, we tend to maybe not think about it as much. But I also believe that beyond this daily faith that we have, there are decisions and, and seasons and moments in our life that, are, that, that is defining faith. Defining faith. It's not just daily faith. That it is, it is defining faith. Maybe it is uh, faith to believe that someone you love or care about is going to put their faith or belief in Jesus Christ, give their life to Jesus Christ. Maybe it is the faith to believe for healing in your body when you are sick, maybe to the point of death. Maybe it's the faith to believe that God is going to help you with an addiction that you've had for possibly, possibly decades. That, that there are these times, these moments, these seasons in life where we have defining faith. And what's interesting about defining faith is that it builds on uh, itself. That when you have defining faith or you, you muster up the, the courage and the faith to believe God for something 
at one part of your life, after you survive or come through or see God move in a miraculous way, you then stand on top of that defining faith to believe for bigger and better things for God. And some of you in the room today, if, if you were to, to describe what it is that you're going through or believing God for, other people in the room would say, that is absurd, that's ridiculous. How could you ever go through that? How could you ever believe God for that? But for the person who's at that place, they could tell you two or three or four or five other stories about how God came through or how their faith was grown in this instance that's allowing them to have the faith that they have now. Does that make sense to everybody? It's defining life-defining faith. And you probably already know this, but I wanna just say it uh, again in case you don't or you've forgotten, but God wants to do something big in your life. Please, please hear that, that God wants to do something big, real big, capital B-I-G. He wants to do something, something big. He wants to leave you speechless. He wants to move in such a way that you are in awe, not even knowing what to say, maybe laughing or maybe crying because you just don't know how to describe or respond to the incredible, miraculous Spirit of God. He wants to do something big in your life. And life is meant for more. Please hear me. Your life is meant for more than just working from nine to five and, and coming to church and maybe one day buying a vacation home and, and, and passing away. Life is meant for so much more than that. And God didn't just save you so that you don't, don't go to hell. He saved you so that he could do something in you and grow you and use you to do big things and to grow the kingdom of God. But he asks you, he doesn't just automatically make those things happen. He asks you and me to have faith in those big things, in those big moments. He wants to do something big in your life, but he also asks that you believe that he can and that he will. Big faith, defining, defining faith. And he doesn't just do it. He asks us to have the faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I love Hebrews 11.1 1 because this verse gives us a really simple, very simple uh, definition of faith, not an easy definition of faith, but a, a simple definition of faith. And, and I'll just kind of sum it up for you, Hebrews, Hebrews 11, 1, faith is being sure of what you hope for. Faith, according to Hebrews 11, 1, faith is being sure of what you hope for. In, in other words, my level or your level of confidence that God will come through for what you're hoping for is the amount of faith that you have. So you say, how much faith do I have? You can answer that question by determining how much confidence you have in what it is that you're hoping for. And that's so huge because there are all kinds of places in the Bible where we see faith impress God. You read the Gospels, especially with Jesus, but, but all throughout the Bible, there are moments in people's lives where their faith, their confidence in what they're hoping for impresses God. There was a time when a father who had a sick daughter came to Jesus. 
And Jesus said, okay, I'll come to your house. He said, you don't even have to come to my house. You could just speak the word and my daughter would be healed. And Jesus looks around at everybody and he says, I've never experienced or seen this kind of faith. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, in all my years ministering to people and and walking around these places, I've never seen someone with this kind of confidence in what they're hoping for. That there are times in your life, my life, and the lives of the people in the Bible where faith impresses God so much that he moves miraculously in a situation or maybe moves a mountain. But it's also true in the Bible that there were times when people's lack of faith kept God from doing something miraculous. One of the most popular times in the Bible is when Jesus went back to his hometown. I don't know if you've ever had trouble breaking a reputation with your family, but Jesus goes back to his hometown and they say, wait a second, this guy's not that special. He's just the son of Joseph. And the Bible literally says he could only do a few miracles there because of their lack of faith. That's what the Bible says. That's not what Jesus says. That's what the Bible says. That because of their lack of faith, he could only do a few miracles there. Now, I want to be very careful to make sure to point out that there are plenty of times that God does whatever God wants to do. And it's not dependent on what you say or what you pray or what you believe or how much faith you have. There are those kinds of moments in life where that happens. I mean, you've been blessed in your life in more ways than you can even count, and it's not like you asked for every one of those blessings. Sometimes God just does what God wants to do. But at the same time that he does what he wants to do, according to the Bible, our faith sometimes determines how big God will move or what God will do or what he won't do. That We can either have confidence in what we're hoping for, or we can doubt in what we're hoping for. And sometimes, even though we don't know the exact formula, because there's no exact formula, it sways the, the meter one way or the other. So faith is being sure of what I'm hoping for. Then if that's true, and it is, then that means that the opposite of faith is being unsure of what I'm hoping for, right? If faith is, is the confidence in, in what I'm hoping for, then then not having faith would be being unsure of what I'm hoping for, which begs the question for you and for me today, how sure are you of what you're hoping for from God? If we wanna talk about faith, how sure are you in what you are hoping for from God? Let me ask this question, and I'll just kind of take it one step further back. Do you know what you want from God? Before you have certainty, do you even know what it is that you want from God, what you need God to do, what you're asking God to do. See, I believe most of us don't get what we want from God or what we need from God simply because we don't know what we want. We don't know what we want. Andrew and I uh, accidentally play this game sometimes when we decide to go out for dinner, but we're not exactly hungry and we don't exactly know where we wanna go. Do you guys ever play this game in your car? It's like we just start reading names of signs driving down the road. It's like, oh, Chili's. Uh, oh, Qdoba. Nah. Oh, Zaxby's. Nah. I mean, you ever play that game? Like, you don't know what you want, but you're just like calling out names. And then somebody will ask you, maybe your spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, friend, family. They'll say, well, what do you want? Well, I don't care. Whatever. Well, I just gave you 10 options. Well, yeah, not those 10, but I mean, anything. It doesn't really matter. Whatever, you know, whatever you come up with, just not those 10, Right? 
I did that the other day with my dad. We were in Florida together, and he's, uh, he's like, where do you want to eat? I was like, I don't care. He's like, oh, let's go to Red Lobster. I said, stop. I don't care, but not Red Lobster. Anywhere but Red Lobster, that's not where we're going, right? Most of us don't get what we want because we don't know what we want. We've never decided what's most important in our lives. We've never written down a list of goals. We've never uh, defined success for ourselves. We, we don't keep a list of, of prayers. But God wants us to be sure of what we're hoping for because that's faith. He wants us to have faith. And if Hebrews 11.1 1 means that faith is being sure of what you're hoping for, then God wants you to be sure of what you're hoping for. And he wants you to be sure of what you're hoping for so that when he answers your prayer, you can be sure that it was only God who could have done it. He wants you to be sure of what you're hoping for so that when he answers that prayer, you can be sure it was God. Have you ever noticed maybe looking back in your life that maybe you were praying for something and God did it, but you forgot to give God the credit for it because you forgot you prayed for it? That, that you, you, you sometimes just assume that good things happen but you don't credit them to God. And a lot of times it's because we never were certain about what we wanted or were praying for from God. And so I wanna read a story in Matthew chapter 20 that shows Jesus making sure that some people knew exactly what they wanted, that they were sure of what they were hoping for. Matthew chapter 20, starting with verse 29, I'm gonna read a few verses. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him, and two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them, and look at what Jesus said. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. What do you want me to do for you? And Lord, they answered, we want our sight. And Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight and followed him. So this story starts out like two blind guys walk up to Jesus. Sounds like the beginning of a joke, right? <laughs> so these two blind guys walk up to Jesus, and Jesus says to these two blind guys, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want? Which is, you're, you kind of read this, and you're like, uh, duh. I mean, Jesus, like, they're blind. You're known for healing people. Of course, they would want to be healed and you to make them to be able to see. But Jesus wasn't asking the blind men what they wanted because he didn't know what they wanted. He was asking the blind men, what do you want to make sure that they knew what they wanted? Jesus already knew. He already knew. And he wanted to make sure that they knew. He wanted them to verbalize their desires. He made them spell it out. He made them spell it out. And that's where faith begins. Faith begins by knowing what you're believing for. Knowing what you're believing for. So if Jesus were to ask you today, what do you want me to do for you, do you have an answer? If Jesus were to ask you today, what do you want me to do for you, do you have an answer? I have a, a group of close friends and we have a tradition of going out to eat for Christmas slash holiday at the end of every year. We pick a restaurant, we go out, and every year... I uh, show up at the table and I make everybody tell me their goals for the next year. And they don't like it that much, but I make them tell me because I want to know, do you know what you're trying to accomplish this year? 
If you actually did it, would you know that you did it because it was a goal of yours? Have you written it down? What are you trying to accomplish? What were you accomplishing this year? Have you done it? And I know I'm kind of the goal guy and it gets on everybody's nerves in my life and I get that, but I don't want to accidentally end up somewhere. I want to know where I'm trying to get to. I want to write it down. I want to look back at it, keep it fresh in front of my eyes. And so that's about life and, and, and it's everything's merged together, spirituality, secular, whatever. It's all there together. And so I'm trying to get very specific with God, but have you? If Jesus were to ask you today, what do you want me to do for you? Do you have an answer? Do you have an answer? What mountain do you need him to move? What impossible dream do you need him to make happen? Do do you know what it is? Are you hoping for anything? And I hope so because without hope, there's no faith. You don't need faith for anything if you're not sure what you want God to do. Hope is faith. It's the confidence, the amount of confidence you have in what you're hoping for. So maybe today, if Jesus were to say to you, what do you want me to do for you? Maybe you'd kind of stumble around. Well, you know, I mean, I, you know, Jesus, I, I'd, like to, you know, I'd like to be more successful. What does that mean? Well, I mean, I guess it means I'd like to make more money. How much? Why do you want to make more money? Well, because, you know, we just like to be able to do some things. What things? What do you want God to do for you? Well, you know, I'd like to get in more shape. What does that mean? Well, you know, I'd like to lose some weight. How much? Do you know what God could do for you? Like if he said, I'll, I'll do whatever. Like, you remember last week we said, pray about anything. Do you know what you want God to do? But I think here's what happens to us. I think sometimes we're afraid to be that specific with God. Like we're a little bit timid about it, you know? Either A, we're afraid to do it because we wanna leave ourselves a little wiggle room, you know? Like, well, you know, I was kinda close and that's good enough. But I think more than that, I think it's because we are afraid that God is intimidated or bothered or feels like we're being too bossy. But can I, can I just take that off of your shoulders for just a second? God is not intimidated by your big prayers by your specific prayers, he's not. It doesn't bother him. And I wanna challenge you today to pray with a focused intensity. God's not bothered by focused faith and focused prayers. And one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Gideon, and we've preached on it a lot around here, but one of the things I love about the story of Gideon is, is how specific he is with God. So God shows up, an angel shows up and talks to Gideon, and Gideon's like, I don't know if I'm actually having a vision from God or if I just ate too much pizza last night, so I'm going to go home, and I'm going to go to sleep, and I'm going to put this towel on the ground before I leave, and when I come back in the morning, God, I want the towel to be wet, and I want the ground to be dry, and if that happens, I'll know it was you. He comes back, sure enough, towel's wet, ground's dry, and so most of us would be like, it's God. Gideon's like, I don't know. Well, God, I'm going to go back home, and I'm going to leave this towel here, and in the morning, I want the towel to be dry, and I want the grass to be wet. And so he comes back the next morning, and sure enough, it's exactly what he asked for. The towel is dry and the ground is wet. And finally he says, okay, it must be God. And God was not up in heaven, or the angel was not there going like, I can't believe you asked that, Gideon. I can't believe you would want me to specifically do that or confirm that. God's not bothered by that. And you don't have to be afraid. And so bring, you know, bring these vague prayers to God, because I think God gets frustrated by vague prayers. I'm not Maybe he doesn't get frustrated, but I think he gets much more excited about specific, focused, intense prayers. So that's my challenge for you today. Focused, faith, intense prayers. One of the families uh, in our church recently sold their home, and 
they were kind of on the fence about whether or not to, to sell the house. And, and so Katie, who was, Katie and Bradley were selling the house, she posted on Facebook that she, um, that they weren't exactly sure. But, and so they went to God and they prayed a very specific prayer to God about the house. And they prayed this prayer. They said, God, we want a newlywed couple just like Brad and I were when we bought the house. We want a couple that will love our home and neighborhood and take care of it like we have. And we want you to show us that we're making the right decision. That's a really specific prayer. And something crazy begins to happen when you begin to pray specific prayers. You start getting the most odd, coincidental, coincidental, non-coincidental answers to prayers from the Spirit of God. And sure enough, that's what began to happen in Brad and, and Katie's prayer. God showed up and confirmed to them that they were and answered the prayer the exact way that they were praying it. Now, listen, I want to be really clear that I'm not saying that you go to God and say, okay, God, um, I'm single and I want a man who is 6'2", who makes $80,000 a year, has black hair and loves children. I mean, you can if you want to. And maybe I'll tell your story next time I preach on Focus Faith. I'm not saying you can't, but I'm not advocating that necessarily. But I think it's entirely okay to pray something like, God, you know my desire to be married. You know that I don't want just anyone. I want the perfect person you've prepared for me. I want a man who loves me and will treat me like your daughter. And if he's tall, that would be okay too. (laughs) But you may meet a man who loves Jesus, who treats you like a queen, who's, you know, five, six, and that's okay too. My point is this, is that don't just say to God, like, God, I just want to be married. What does that mean? I mean, it means you want to be married. I mean, I I can get you married today. (laughs) You just want to get married. We can do that today. Go to God and and share your heart with him and, and pray with some focus. Pray with some focus, some intensity, some focused faith. And so I'm kind of kidding about that, but it does raise the question that we always kind of come back to when we're talking about faith and we're talking about mountains moving. And Pastor John and I hit on it a little bit last week. But what do you do if what you're hoping for in your life is not what God wants for you? It's a valid question. What, what do you do if what you're hoping for is not what God wants for you? Because listen, the last thing that we need is something for our lives that God does not want for our lives. That's, that's, the, that's the last thing that we need. And so what if our prayers and our dreams and our hopes aren't the same as God's dreams and hopes and prayers for, for our life, for your life? Well, that's, that's really, I love that question because that's really the beauty of prayer. That prayer is not just a normal conversation. Prayer is a supernatural exchange from a heavenly deity to somebody like you and me. And so here's what will happen every time, 100% guaranteed, take it to the bank. If you begin to pray specific, focused faith prayers in your life, maybe about mountains or maybe about, uh, you know, faith that you need for certain scenarios in your life, if those are not the dreams, hopes, and prayers that God has for your life, he will begin to give you faith for the things, dreams, hopes, and prayers that he wants for your life, and he will begin to remove your heart from the things that he doesn't want for your life. 
Because prayer has never been about convincing God to give you what you want. Prayer has been always been about conforming you and your heart and your will to his will. So the craziest thing begins to happen. The more you pray, the more you begin to pray about what God wants you to pray for. It's, it's, it's an incredible thing. You say, well, what if I pray and, and that's not what God wants for my life? You keep praying and you will eventually stop praying about the wrong things. I don't even know how to explain it. It's a supernatural thing. And you'll begin to think like, man, I haven't prayed about that in like three weeks. I wonder why I'm not thinking about that that much anymore. I wonder why that's not on my heart as much anymore. And then you'll start having these other thoughts and desires and hopes. And you're like, well, I've never really thought about that before. I've never really had that dream. I've never really had that hope in my life. Man, I thought my life was headed in this direction and I was just thinking I wanted to be this and achieve this and accomplish this. But now all of a sudden I'm beginning to think that maybe, this is crazy, but I'm beginning to think maybe I need to go over here. You know what that is? That's God conforming your heart, hopes, dreams, and desires to his will for your life. And that's when it gets good. Because if you want what God wants for the reasons God wants them, it's a lock because God was just waiting on you to have the right faith, the right hopes, the right dreams, and the right desires. And so the more you pray and the more your faith is conformed and, and to, to God's will, you begin to pray the prayers that he wants to do in your life anyway. And that's when the prayer answering stats start to go way up because you're praying the right prayers. And there's no formula there's no magic. It's not a certain timetable or a certain period. It's just focused faith. It's just focused prayer. It's just focused intensity about, about a mountain moving or a miracle that you need in, in your life. But we have to know what we want God to do. And you don't need to feel guilty about knowing what you want God to do in your life. What do you want God to do? I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago and they were in a season of fasting and I said, why are you fasting? And they said, because I want my daughter to be saved. That's focused faith right there. That's why I'm praying. That's what I'm believing God for. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. God's not going, hey, don't box me in. Let me see what I can do. No. It's focused faith. Recently, I, I read a story in, uh, in Mark Batterson's book, The Circle Maker. I read The Circle Maker every January. It's my fifth year reading through the book. And, and I was reading and reminded again of a story of a, of a young lady in his church that was moved to and felt challenged and burdened to, to focus her faith. And she decided instead of doing it alone that she would get together nine of her friends. And so her and nine of her friends, a total of 10, decided to do a prayer experiment, a prayer experiment. And the experiment was very simple. They decided that what they would do is they would pick one thing to pray about for 30 days. Just one thing. So they would have 10 people praying about the same one thing, not praying about anything else, just 10 people praying about the same one thing for 30 days. At the end of the 30 days, they would all decide together again what it is that they were going to be praying for. And at one point in the prayer experiment, it came around to this girl's turn to, to come up with her prayer request and she decided she wanted to pray for her husband. And so for 30 days, 
none of her friends and her prayed for her to find the right man for her life. But what she begins, what she described happening is different than probably what you think might happen. You would expect in a book about prayer or sermon about faith that, you know, 17 days later, she bumps into Prince Charming at Starbucks. But that's not actually what happened. She said at the end of the 30 days, she hadn't met anybody, but something amazing had begun to happen in her life and that God was beginning to identify in her and reveal things to herself that needed to change and be healed and set free because of things that she had brought with her from her childhood. And she said, I would have never identified that those were things that were keeping uh, uh, good relationships, godly relationships from my life. And I probably never would have known that if it wasn't for our prayer experiment. What began to unfold in this group over years was God began to do miraculous intervention, prayers, answers to prayers. And it's not because the magic number is 10. And it's not because you're only supposed to pray for one thing instead of three things. It's just because they focused their faith and they knew what they wanted God to do. I believe God answers way more of your prayers than you realize that he does. You just haven't written them down or you forgot that you ever thought them or prayed about them or wanted them. So what do you want God to do for you? Have you given your mountain a name? Have have you told God the name of your mountain? Have you gone to God and specifically said, God, this is what I want. This is what I'm praying for. This is what I'm believing for. Do you know what you want God to do? Have you told him? Begin to pray, believe with focused faith. And I believe with all of my heart, it's not a matter of if that mountain will move in your life. It's just a matter of when, because we're gonna focus our faith. Let's pray.